It must have been some imp of the perverse, or some sardonic pull from dark, hidden sources, which made me change my plans as I did. I had long before resolved to limit my observation to architecture alone, and I was even then hurrying toward the square in an effort to get quick transportation out of this festering city of death and decay. But the sight of old Zadok Allen set up new currents in my mind and made me slack in my pace uncertainly. I had been assured that the old man could do nothing but hint at wild, disjointed, and incredible legends and I had been warned that the natives made it unsafe to be seen talking to him. Yet the thought of this aged witness of the town's decay, with memories going back to the early days of ships and factories, was a lure that no amount of reason could make me resist. After all, the strangest and maddest of myths are often merely symbols or allegories based upon truth, and old Zadok must have seen everything which went on around Innsmouth for the last ninety years. Curiosity flared up beyond sense and caution, and in my youthful egotism I fancied I might be able to sift a nucleus of real history from the confused, extravagant outpouring. I would probably extract with the aid of raw whiskey. I knew that I could not accost him then and there, for the firemen would surely notice and object. Instead I reflected, I would prepare by getting some bootleg liquor at a place where the grocery boy had told me it was plentiful, then I would loaf near the fire station in apparent casualness, and fall in with old Zadok after he had started on one of his frequent rambles. The youth said that he was very restless, seldom sitting, and around the station for more than an hour at a time. A quart bottle of whiskey was easily, though not cheaply obtained, in the rear of a dingy variety store just off the square in Elliott Street. The dirty-looking fellow who waited on me had a touch of the staring Innsmouth look, but was quite civil in his way, being perhaps used to the customs of such convenial strangers, truckmen, gold buyers, and the like, as were occasionally in town. Re-entering the square, I saw that luck was with me, but shuffling out of Payne Street around the corner of the Gilman House, I glimpsed nothing less than the tall, lean, tattered form of old Zadok Allen himself, in accordance with my plan, I attracted his attention by brandishing my newly purchased bottle, and soon realized that he had begun to shuffle wistfully after me as I turned into Waite Street, on my way to the most deserted region I could think of. I was steering my course by the map the grocery boy had prepared, and was aiming for the wholly abandoned stretch of southern waterfront which I had previously visited. The only people in sight there had been the fishermen on the distant breakwater, and by going a few squares south, I could get beyond the range of these, finding a pair of seats on some abandoned wharf, and being free to question old Zadok, unobserved, for an indefinite time. Before I reached Main Street, I could hear a faint and wheezy hey mister behind me, and I presently allowed the old man to catch up and take copious pulls from the quart bottle. I began putting out feelers as we walked along the water street, and turned southward amidst the omnipresent desolation and crazily tilted ruins, but found that the aged tongue did not loosen as quickly as I had expected. At length I saw grass grown, opening toward the sea between crumbling brick walls, with the weedy length of an earth and masonry wharf projected beyond. Piles of moss-covered stones near the water promised tolerable seats, 
and the scene was sheltered from all possible views by ruined warehouse on the north. Here I thought was the ideal place for a long secret colloquy, so I guided my companion down the lane and picked out spots to sit in among the mossy stones. The air of death and desertion was ghoulish, and the smell of fish almost insufferable, but I was resolved to let nothing deter me. About four hours remained for conversation. If I were to catch the eight o'clock coach to Arkham, and I began to dole out more liquor to the ancient tippler, meanwhile eating my own frugal lunch. In my donations I was careful not to overshoot the mark, for I did not wish Zadok's venous garrulousness to pass into a stupor. After an hour, his furtive taciturnity shewed signs of disappearing, but much to my disappointment he still sidetracked my questions about Innsmouth and its shadow-haunted past. He would babble of current topics, revealing a wide acquaintance with newspapers and a great tendency to philosophize in a sententious village fashion. Toward the end of the second hour, I feared my quart of whiskey would not be enough to produce results, and was wondering whether I had better to leave old Zadok and go back for more. Just then, however, chance made the opening which my question had been unable to make, and the wheezing, ancients, rambling took a turn that caused me to lean forward and listen alertly. His back was toward the fishy-smelling sea, but he was facing it, and something or other had caused his wandering gaze to light on the low, distant line of Devil Reef, then shewing plainly and almost fascinatingly above the waves. The sight seemed to displease him, for he began a series of weak curses which ended in a confidential whisper and a knowing leer. He bent toward me, took hold of my coat lapel, and hissed out some hints that could not be mistaken. That's where it all began. That cursed place of all wickedness where the deep water starts. Gate of hell, sheer, dropped down to a bottom no sound and lightning kin tech. Old Captain Obed done it. Him that found and mourned was good for him in the South Sea Islands. Everybody was in a bad way them days. Trade falling off, mills losing business, even the new ones. And the old best of our menfolk killed the Presbyterian at the War of 1812, or lost with the Elysee Brig and the Ranger Snow. Both of them Gilman ventures. Obed Marsh, he had three ships afloat Brigantine Columbia, Brig Hefty, and Bart Symmetry Queen. He was the only one as kept on with the East Indian Pacific trade. Oesdris Martin, the Brigantine Malay Pride made a venter as late as twenty-eight. Never was nobody like Captain Obed. Old limb of Satan, hey hey. I can mind him a-tellin' about fern parts, and callin' all the folks stupid for goin' to Christian meetin', and bearin' their burdens meek and lowly. Says they'd order get better gods like some of the folk in the Injies. Gods would bring em good fishin' in return for their sacrifices, and it'd really answer folks' prayers. <coughs> Mad Elliot, his first mate, talked a lot, only he was egging folks doing any heathen things. Told about an island east of Othwaite War. There was a lot of stone ruins, older than anybody knew anything about. Kind of like them on Ponape in the Carolines, but with carvings of faces and looked like the big statues on Easter Island. There was little volcanic island there, there. Two war they was, was other rooms with different carvings. Ruins all wore away like they'd been under the sea, and with pictures of awful monsters all over em. 
lost their mat. He says the natives around there had all the fish they could catch and sported bracelets and armlets and head rigs made out of a queer kind of gold and covered with pictures of monsters, just like the ones carved on the ruins on the little islands, sort of fish-like frogs or frog-like fishes that was drawed in all kind of positions, like they was human beings. Nobody could get out of them. Where they got all the stuff? All the other natives wondering how they managed to find fish in plenty, even when the next island had lean pickings. Matt, he got to wondering too, and so did Captain Obed. Obed, he notices, decides that lots of the handsome young folks had dropped out of sight for good from year to year, and that they want many old folks around. Also, he thinks some of the folks look darn queer, even for Kanakis. It took Obed to get the truth out of them heathens. I don't know how he done it, but he begun by trading for the gold-like things they wore, asked them where they came from, and if they could get more, and finally wormed the story out of the old chief, Wallaleki, they called him. Nobody but Obed had ever believed that old yeller devil, but the captain could read folks like they was books, he he. Nobody never believes me now when I tell him. And I don't suppose you will, young feller, though come to look at ye, you've kind of got of them sharp reading eyes like Obed had. The old man's whisper grew fainter, and I found myself shuddering at the terrible, sincere, portentous of this intonation, even though I knew his tale could be nothing but drunken fantasy. While Sir Obed he learnt that these things on this arth, as most folks never heard about, and wouldn't believe them if they did, it seems these Kanakis were sacrificed in heaps of their young men and maidens to some kind of old god thing that lived under the sea and getting all kinds of favor in return. They met the things on a little islet with the queer ruins, and it seems them awful pictures of frogfish monsters were supposed to be pictures of these things. Maybe they was the kind of critters as got all the mermaid stories and such started. They all had kinds o' cities in the sea bottom, and these islands was heaved up from the ar. Seems they was some of the things alive in the stone buildings when the islands come up sudden to the surface. That's how the Kanakis got wind they was down thar, and they'd sign talk as soon as they got over being skirt and pieced up a bargain afore long. Them things like human sacrifices had had em ages afore, but lost track of the upper world arter a time. What they'd done to victims, it ain't for me to say, and I guess Obed want none too sharp about asking. But it was all right with the heathens, cause they'd been having a hard time and was desperate about everything. They given a certain number of young folks to the sea things, quick every year, May Eve and Halloween. Regular as could be, also give some of the carved knickknacks they made. What the things agreed to give in return was plenty of fish. They drove them in front of all over the sea, and a few gold-like things now and then. While, as I say, the natives met the things on the little volcanic islet, going thar in canoes with the sacrifices, etc., and bringing back any of the gold-like jewels as was coming to them. At first... The things didn't never go onto the main island, but after a time, they come to want to. Seems they hankered after mixing with the folk and having gent ceremonies on the big days, May Eve and Halloween. 
You see, they were able to live both in and out of water, what they called amphibians, I guess. The Kanakis told them of how folks on the other islands might want, want to wipe them about if they got wind of their being there. They says they didn't care much because they could wipe out the whole brood of humans if they was willing to bother, that is. Any as it didn't have certain signs, such as was used by the lost old ones, whoever they was. But not wanting to bother, they lay low when anybody visited the island. When it came to mating with them toad-looking fishes, the Kanakis kind of balked, but finally they learnt something as put a new face on the matter. Seems that human folk has got a kind of relation to such water beasts, that everything alive come out the water aren't and only needs a little change to go back again. Them things told the Kanakis that if they mixed bloods, they'd be children as look human at first, but later turn more and more like the things, till finally they'd take to the water and gene the main lot of things down there. And this is the important part, young feller. Them is turned into fish things, and went out in the water would never die. Them things never died, except they was killed violent. Well, sir, it seems by the time Obed knowed them islanders, it was all full of fish blood from them deep water things. When they got old and begun to shoe it, they was kept hid until they felt like taking to the water and quitting the place. Some was more touched than others, and some never did change quite enough to take to the water, but mostly they turned out just the way them things said. Them as was born more like the things changed hourly, but them as was nearly human sometimes stayed on the island till they was past seventy, though they'd usually go down under for trial trips afore that. Folks as had took to the water generally came back a good deal to visit, so as a man would often be talking to his own five times great grandfather, but who'd left the dry land a couple hundred years or so afore. Everybody got out of the idea of dying, except in canoe wars with other islanders, for his sacrifices to the sea gods down below, or from snake biter plague or sharp galloping ailments or something, afore they could take to the water, but simply look forward to a kind of change that wasn't a bit horrible after a while. They thought what they'd got was well worth all they'd had to give up, and I guess Obed kind of come to the same himself. When he chewed over Wallalaki's story a bit. Wallalakia, though, was one of the few as hadn't got none of the fish blood, being of a royal line that intermarried with royal lines on other islands.